Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Thank you, Pastor Holly. Hi, everyone. How are you? Good to see you. Uh, You know, I do like to pray for overcast weather, but I think someone got it mixed up. I meant clouds, not smoke. And, but I did like the prayer for rain, Pastor Holly. Well done. That's good. Lord grant that prayer. <laughs> well, welcome to the, uh, the second week of our King David series. We had a great beginning last week uh, as we looked at one of the most famous moments in the life of King David, the, the story of David and Goliath. Uh, But we looked at that incredible story, not so much to focus on the showdown, but rather to focus on David's perspective, Uh, one being of faith and trust and and depending on God despite how everyone else saw that situation. And I I think that's a really important way to begin this series because we'll see that as a characteristic of David as we go uh, throughout his life. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart, and I love that. I think that can be uh, uh, something that we all aspire to in the course of our relationship with God. But I I think the cool thing about that the Bible calls him a man after his own heart is that it calls him that even though he's a flawed person. And isn't that encouraging? He's human like you and me. And so I think we can relate in, in a lot of ways to David and his life and even as he encouraged us to have uh, incredible faith. So today we're going to look at one of those flawed moments in the life of King David. Uh, There's much that we can learn from this story. This story starts bad and it ends bad. (laughs) It's one of those moments where we're going to have to kind of hold in tension what's happening in David's life. And here's what I'd like to do today. I want to be a little bit more narrative. I want to just kind of tell the story. Uh, We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapters 18 through 21. We're not going to read it all. Obviously, that's a lot. But I'm going to try to retell the story. And what I would ask is, as we kind of hear this story in the life of David, that you would be asking the Lord to speak deeply to you. Where do you find yourself in this story? Uh, And let the Lord hold open your your life, your heart, uh, and your mind to the Lord as you hear this. Uh, One author, one commentator I read this week wrote this about this part of David's life. In the development of Christian character, there sometimes uh, comes moments when darkness seems to fall. The sun seems to set, and the man himself... uh, And to the man himself, everything seems lost. Other people observing his life wonder if he's sinking beyond all hope of recovery. It is to such a moment in David's life that we now come. And I find it tremendously comforting that the Bible never flatters its heroes, this author wrote. (laughs) Isn't that kind of fun? But... Uh, there's, uh, while there's a benefit to the, to the fact that the Bible never flatters its heroes, we can relate to the people, uh, our focus is not on David's failing, but on God's faithfulness. Amen? And that God's faithfulness starts from the beginning of the story all the way through the end, and we see how God interacts with humanity, no matter how many times we thumb our nose at God or reject his ways. So I just want to be very clear about that. So today, as we look at this story, I want to highlight what anger fear, and isolation can do to us and our ability to trust God and depend on God. Anger, fear, and isolation. So as you hear this, think about those things in your life. What lesson does the Lord want to speak to you? So we're going to move through fairly quickly. Today's story happens before David becomes king. 
but after the story of uh, his encounter with Goliath. In fact, we kind of mentioned that David was likely around 15 years old in the story with Goliath. We're going to fast forward maybe about 10 years in his life. He's mid-20s, maybe mid-late 20s in this story. Following the defeat of Goliath, David becomes, as it seems clear, I mean, it seems obvious, one of the most famous people in all of Israel. Everybody knows his name. His story becomes legend. They write songs about him, right? Well, King Saul obviously kind of has a problem with some of this. (laughs) David realizes that this young man, I mean, Saul realizes that this young man, David, has tons of potential, but suddenly also has a lot of influence and even power in their society. So King Saul gets a little nervous about this, and he wants to do what he can to control David and to control some of this influence that David has his growing influence. So Saul comes up with what he thinks is a really good plan. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get David into my family. That way I can control what he does. I can maybe even control more of the the narrative or the story. And so Saul offers to David uh, to marry one of his daughters. What an opportunity, right? (laughs) This is a great opportunity. Who wouldn't want to be married to one of the king's daughters and in the king's family? But David, being who he is, responds by saying in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 18 and 19, he says, Who am I and what is my family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? My father's family is nothing. So when the time came for Saul to give his daughter in marriage to David, he gave her instead to another man. David said, sorry, I'm not worthy to be part of your family. What a response, right? Crazy in in kind of this society and this culture. So David refused the offer to become the king's son-in-law. And the people's response is something like, oh, wow, this guy's amazing. (laughs) What a humble guy to recognize who he is and to refuse such an offer. And David's reputation grows. So fast forward a little bit, David actually falls in love with another one of King Saul's daughters named Michael, and they end up getting married. So not only does David get all the benefit of refusing this, this, uh, this offer from the king earlier, he actually does eventually get to marry one of the king's daughters. And not only does he get to marry one of the king's daughters and he's welcomed into the family, he becomes friends, even best friends, with King Saul's son, Jonathan. The next thing we know that King Saul realizes that getting this kid into the family was maybe a bad idea. (laughs) It's not working out because he's powerful, he's influential, and everybody loves David, including Saul's own family. And in fact, it seems like Saul's family is choosing David over him. And it says that Saul becomes to get very jealous of what's happening. Saul is becoming angry, isolated, and afraid. We can see how this is influencing his decision-making. It's not going very well. And as Saul becomes more angry, isolated, and afraid, he really, he wasn't kind of in any, any way, but he really is not looking to the Lord. He's really not trusting or depending on God for what he needs. Saul actually begins to try to get rid of David in a number of different ways. And one of those ways 
was by giving him authority in the army. David becomes one of the generals in Saul's army, and Saul sends David on impossible military campaigns, thinking, okay, great, here's the solution. We're going to go send him to battle. If he dies, okay, he can become a martyr. That's fine. At least he's gone, right? (laughs) But time and time again, David would come back alive and successful, from these military missions. It's like nothing can go wrong for this guy, right? So he he comes back, he's alive, he's successful, and the people love him even more. He he becomes even more well-known and a powerful general in the army. This tension between what Saul is trying to do and and what's happening in David's life begins to escalate to the point where King Saul has had enough. The frustration builds and builds, and it all culminates one night at dinner at the king's table. David is often invited to the king's table. He's a general. He's a son-in-law of the king. But because of this tension that was going on between David and Saul, more and more often, David is not showing up for dinner. And every once in a while, King Saul would say to Jonathan, hey, where is David? And Jonathan, being David's good friend, would cover for him. And so one night at dinner, the family's gathered, and King Saul asks where David is. And this is what Jonathan said in 1 Samuel 20, 28 through 29. David earnestly asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. He said, please let me go, for we are having a family sacrifice. My brother demanded that I be there. So please let me get away to see my brothers. That's why he isn't here at the king's table. So Jonathan gives this excuse, and Scripture tells us that Saul, at this point, is enraged. Enraged. In fact, he's so mad that he calls his son some choice words, words we cannot repeat here. And he takes up his spear, and he throws it at his son, and Scripture says, intending to kill him. Isn't this crazy? Uh, Saul missed Jonathan. Holly, Pastor Holly and I were joking about this. Saul must have been really bad at throwing spears because like earlier in the story, he tries to throw at David and misses David too. Like while David's playing the harp, he's probably not moving a lot. Very, you know. Anyway, Saul, man, get better. It's terrible. Terrible spear throwing. So he throws the spear at his son, intending to kill him uh, for sticking up to David. This is a very dramatic moment, and it is the moment Saul feeling isolated, angry, and afraid. He's not making good decisions. He certainly doesn't have his eyes fixed on the Lord. And it's at this point that Saul finally decides, David's done. I am going to kill him one way or another. It's a turning point in the story. And so what we see is that Jonathan, worried for David's life, goes to warn David, hey, This tension is now not just a a building tension. Like, you need to do something. Dad is after you. He's going to kill you. Saul is angry, isolated, and afraid. Not making good decisions. Not trusting the Lord. And it's at this moment, when David gets the warning from Jonathan, that David also becomes angry, isolated, and afraid. And what we see now is David beginning to make a whole series of really terrible decisions. So David becomes the one who's angry, isolated, and afraid. He's alone. He's rejected by the king. He can't rely on his family and friends. What does this do to David's perspective, especially as we think about what we talked about last week? So he's panicked, and David starts to run. The text tells us that David runs to a place called Nob, to Ahimelech, the high priest at this point. 
And David, when David shows up at this, at this place to the high priest, the high priest, I love it, because the high priest immediately knows that something is wrong. Something is off. And he begins to ask David a series of questions. Why are you here? Why are you alone? Why is nobody with you? What's going on? Usually you heard David coming long before he showed up because he traveled with an army. And usually when the army, before they went to the battle, they would stop at the high priest and they would, get, they would essentially ask for a prayer of blessing before they go off to battle. That's the context in which the high priest usually encounters David. But the high priest had never seen David by himself, and suddenly David shows up. He's clearly a little nervous. He's disheveled. He's all by himself. He's, he's got nothing with him, and Ahimelech is thinking, okay, what's going on? And David answered the high priest's questions, but he lies. The text actually tells us he lies. He lies multiple times. David is full of anger, fear, and isolation. Anger, fear, and isolation can lead to bad decision-making, and it can lead to us not trusting in the Lord day by day, moment by moment. I want you just to begin to think about what happens in your mind and heart and life when you encounter things like anger and fear and isolation. The king sent me on a mission. It was so urgent that I had to leave immediately. My men are waiting for me in a different location. Shh, don't tell anyone. (laughs) He says to the high priest. Another commentator I read this week wrote this. David should not have feared, but he did. Neither should we fear, but we do. Sometimes, and let's be honest in the presence of God, the wind that is threatening to overturn the ship of our lives is far more real to us than the presence of the Lord saying, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Can you relate with that? (laughs) What do you do in those moments? We're watching this story unfold and there's two major characters that are not trusting the Lord, King Saul and David. And the story continues here, and David continues to lie to the priest, and he asks the priest, do you have any food? Another odd request, and Ahimelech says, well, David, we don't have any common food here. Uh, We have consecrated bread that is dedicated to the Lord. It's holy bread. It's meant to. It's actually, uh, by law, only available to the priests. That's all I've got. So David maybe takes a moment and says, great, I'll take that. <laughs> That'll be good. And I wonder what him like does at this moment. He's like, well, I mean, it's against the law. You're not, I'm not supposed to give this to you. You're not, I'm supposed to be the only one that eats it. But I mean, you're David. You're the hero of Israel. And obviously the Lord is with you. So, okay, here you go. And he gives David this consecrated bread. So now not only is David lied about why he's there, he's lied in order to get some food and it's holy bread. And if at this point, if, if you were here last week and you heard the discussion, maybe we're all beginning to wonder what happened to the, in you I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long, David, right? That, that in God you are my refuge and I run to you in a time of trouble, David. What happened to that guy? Maybe we can ask ourselves, uh, what, happened, what happens to that type of person in me when I face these kinds of struggles or, or difficulties in my life? Another author named Alan Redpath wrote about David's in this story, and I love this, gives us a couple of uh, word pictures to hold on to. It says, fear is always an enemy of faith. This is a battleground of Christian experience. David is now looking at God through the threatening clouds of opposition and trouble. 
Instead of looking down at circumstances through the rainbow of God's love, it's very easy to lose 2020 spiritual vision. It's easy to develop a spiritual squint to see things in the wrong perspective and to start to panic. I like the way that those things work. And, and, we're at, and essentially he's saying David is so panicked, he's so driven by fear, anger, and isolation that he's spiritually squinting. Maybe with his eyes open a little bit more clear, he would have seen things a little bit differently. And then the story gets even more intense. There's so much drama in this next part. See, when we follow Jesus and we get overcome by fear and isolation and anger, uh, I, God doesn't want us to stay there, right? We know that. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to lean in on him. And so I know, I, I think, and we've all experienced that there are times in our life where God will try to break into our downward spirals of destruction, <laughs> Right? And this is what God does in this moment to David. God is continually faithful, and he will always invite us back to faith-filled obedience and relationship with him. Always. That's the story of the Bible, and I love it, right? (laughs) He is always faithful. But then David asks Ahimelech another question. Do you have a weapon? And this is when Ahimelech starts to really realize, he starts to get really suspicious. Okay, wait a minute. You are a general. The most famous general in the country. You say you're on a mission for the king. You have nothing, and you don't even have a weapon. You're the most famous warrior. What is going on? David says, do you have a spear or a sword? I haven't brought anything because the king's mission was so urgent. And now this is when something incredible happens. And this is where we need some epic movie music, right? Uh, In this moment, David is is virtually transported back to the event that God used to catapult him to fame. This is the wake-up call moment for David if he can see it. This is where I think God is trying to remind him of something. He asked for a weapon, and the priest replied, The only thing I have is the sword of Goliath. Whoa! (laughs) The only thing I have is the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed years ago in the valley of Elah. Goliath's sword, which David had brought back uh, from this valley of Elah, this battle years ago as a trophy of war, but it was a memorial at this point. It was a museum piece in the sanctuary. It was preserved in the place of worship. Uh, The memory of God's great salvation and how God used a young David to turn the tides only when he had trust in him and relied on him and depended on him. It's a visual aid for David. I mean, you can't get more concrete than that, right? (laughs) The sword was carefully kept and tended, preserved from scratches and tarnishes, there to be viewed by women and men who came to pray and renew their faith and trust in God. This moment is incredible. And David at this point should have been reminded of the afternoon that he did the unthinkable, not by his own power, not by his own strength, but only by the grace and the power of God. Amen? God breaks into our downward spirals of destruction. The question is, are our eyes open? Are our hearts open? Can we see it? David has a pretty significant spiritual squint here. And I wonder if some of those memories came flooding back to David. What happened to that clear-eyed, courageous, God-fearing shepherd boy? 
And I believe in this moment that God was trying to restore some clarity to David and he's trying to break through David's fear. David gets this extraordinary reminder. He's shown a visual aid to remind him of God's faithfulness and God's power and yet he misses it. I think my encouragement as I read read the story and my encouragement to us is let's not do the same. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) What is God using in your life right now to remind you of his faithfulness, of his promise, of his power, of his deliverance, and of the way that he's brought you through all that he's brought you through? We don't necessarily get the benefit of a concrete visual aid. There's no sword hanging up here, right, that can remind us of God's faithfulness. Are you discouraged? Are you angry? Are you feeling lonely? God is not only with you, but maybe, just maybe, God is using people and situations, things in your life to remind you who he is and what he's done for you. (laughs) And for me, and for our church, and for our community, and for the world, for all humanity. And so David takes the sword. He literally takes matters into his own hands. And he continues to run, even with that reminder of God's faithfulness in his life. And here's something that I think I've learned as I follow Jesus, and I think we've all experienced at some point, that it's easy to trust God when things are going well, right? (laughs) Uh, A pastor this week I read wrote this, it's easy to trust God when we have very little to trust him with and nothing to trust him for. But it's harder to trust him when things that we value start to slip away, when things get tough and painful. It's hard for us to trust in God for a particular outcome. Have you ever experienced that before? (laughs) That's precisely what David needed to do, but he takes Goliath's sword. And just uh, to finish the story... Again, it's, I just want to say it's easy to be critical of David in, in these, in these um, moments. But I, I hope that as we're hearing this, we're all a little reflective of how this is working out in our life. David takes the sword of Goliath, and he knows he's got to leave the country. He knows he's got to get out of there as fast as he can. So where does he go? He goes to the land of the Philistines with Goliath's sword. This is great decision-making, right? Not only does he go to the land of the Philistines, he goes to Gath. And if you remember from last week, Gath is the town where Goliath came from. So he takes Goliath's sword, the guy who killed Goliath, he goes to the Philistines, the area of the Philistines, and he goes to the town where Goliath was born. He shows up with that sword. This is like Great, David. You're, this is awesome decision-making. Well done. This is crazy stuff. This is ridiculous. You can't make this up, right? There's going to be in a time in our life where anger, uh, isolation, and, and fear push us to do things that maybe are not great decisions. David thought it would be a good idea. Not only, obviously, it was a good idea for him to get out of, of the country, but he went to the wrong place <laughs> thinking he could find safety and protection. The giants of anger, fear, and isolation in our life can be a powerful force when we choose to not to trust in the Lord. Now, I, I kind of want to, Pastor Holly and I were talking about this a bit earlier this week. I, maybe it's good for us to kind of just leave the story in tension, not necessarily resolve it for us very, very well, because I think that we can ask really good reflective questions 
uh, when that happens. However, I also think it's very important to see the outcome. Maybe it took a long time for David to get to this point, but he did, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it shows us a really significant uh, example of how God continues to work in our life over time. David would eventually get to the place. King David, this is much later, when David writes this, the Lord is a shelter for the oppressed. This is Psalm 9, verse 9. A refuge in times of trouble. How, how, I wonder how this story kind of impacted some of these, these that he, this stuff that he's writing. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in time of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. Uh, for you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. It's a very different David, isn't it? <laughs> who, who came around to learn the, the value and the benefit of trusting in God. He eventually comes to the right perspective, but it takes some time. And it took him some very difficult circumstances. We can learn from this. Let's do everything we can to trust in the Lord well and quickly. Amen? (laughs) So how are you doing that is the question. Just to connect this in a much deeper way, a thousand years after this story, one of David's most famous descendants who was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, would gaze out and look at some frightened and angry and abandoned Israelites. And Jesus, a thousand later, a years later, would say this. Come to me, all of you, who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, for I am humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Wow. What an incredible difference. (laughs) What an incredible call. The faithfulness of our Lord is good, amen? How are we trusting him through these most difficult circumstances in our life? And I'll end with some encouraging words uh, from that author I read from earlier named Alan Redpath who wrote this. Isn't the patience and mercy of God toward his people beyond our understanding? If you have allowed fears and doubts to overcome your faith because maybe you've relied on past experiences, then just lift up your hands of faith to God right now. (laughs) When a hungry heart looks up to him, for if you cry to the Lord now, he will save you from all your fears. Amen? Worship team, would you come on back up? One more time, I'll just read the words of Jesus here for these moments for us. Come to me, All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find your rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Let's pray.